One, two, one, two, there we are. Hey, welcome to church today. It's so good to have you out on this glorious late summer day, and we're so thankful that you're here. I've got a few things to tell you about before we dive into the sermon this morning, but um, as I'm sharing, we're going to have our ushers. They're going to be passing a bucket down the row, and if you're a guest, let the bucket pass you by. But if this is your home church, we just welcome you to take advantage of this, this time to just give back to God your tithes and offering and just bless Him that way. So the bucket's going to be going down your row as I chat a little bit here. And uh, the kids, I believe, are all gone. Um, the youth had a fantastic week last week at Go Camp. And we had, um, we had just over 15, 15 students from our church uh, representing CTK Ferndale that were at the camp. And it was just a glorious weekend. God moved. God spoke. And uh, just a lot of good things happened. Um, I had three kids that went, and it was just really cool to hear the stories of how God was poking and prodding at their hearts at camp. So good. And so we're so thankful for that. Um, I'd love to take a couple minutes this morning. This is, this is the fourth time, the fourth Sunday since uh, September 11th, 2001, that we've had Sunday on 9-11. And I just think it would be really good for us this morning. You know, I we have some uh, first responders in our church, and I just think it'd be really good for us just to honor them today. Um, I, I remember very clearly where I was on 9-11, as any of you that were adults during that time, or even teenagers during that time, remember where you were. It was just such a, a day. I was, I was actually up at a youth re uh, pastor's retreat up in, just, just across the border, and was, was sleeping and heard all this commotion. Someone had put the TV on or the radio on, and I just thought, oh, what is someone doing playing video games at this time of the day because of all the sirens and stuff that were going on? And then, of course, seeing everything um, live, it was, it was brutal. And, uh, but one of the things I remember very clearly about that day was just this line that you heard over and over again. And that line was, was how when everybody was rushing out, first responders were rushing in. And, you know, I don't think we take enough t opportunity and time as a church just to, just to say to our first responders how much we appreciate them, their courage, their sacrifice that they give. And um, I know we have some in our church, maybe some that are watching online. So could we just this morning, with a round of applause, just say thank you to all of our first responders that— Yes, awesome. We are blessed, blessed by the men and women that just have so much courage and willingly sacrifice themselves um, all the time, every day. And so, uh, so thankful. Um, as we're heading into fall, there's a few things that I just want to encourage us as a church in. Um, three things, actually. One is worship. The second is community. And the third thing is serving. And uh, I just encourage you in those three things. First thing, worship. Um, it's so important for us as a church to be connected together, and I love coming together on Sundays where we just lift up the name of Jesus together. And I don't know if you know this or not, but we have a worshiping church. And uh, Andy Tellman was here last week, and Andy gets to go through all the CTKs, and one thing he always says is he just loves how when he comes here, he says it's, it's the easiest place to worship. Not that everybody else is hard. We got some great churches, but you just love to sing. 
and you don't get to hear what I hear when I'm up here playing guitar, but you just sound beautiful, and you love to sing to Jesus, and it's such a good thing. And, and you know what it's like to be here on a Sunday, and it just encourages you. It lifts you up. And so make that a part of your routine. Second thing is, as we're heading in the fall, there's going to be opportunities for you to get in community. Community is hugely important for your faith. Absolutely vital. you got to have people around you that are encouraging you, that are speaking into your life, and who you can likewise encourage. And so over the next couple weeks, um, actually, this is the, the week of September 25th, we're going to be launching some discipleship groups and some small groups. Um, Celebrate Recovery is already going. Our student ministry actually kicks off tonight. But find a, a community to get around that's going to be there for you and that, who you can be there for. There is nothing like going through life following Jesus with friends. And so get some people in your life. And then the third thing is, you, is when it comes to serving, you have a spot on the team um, church is not a spectator event. It is a team sport, if you could put those two side by side. And uh, you have a place. And I encourage you, if you're not involved in the mission that we are on as a church, we are on a mission. That mission is to, to, to be a church that reaches out into our city and beyond with the hope of Jesus. And, and we're, we're all in this together. And so I encourage you, if you're not a, a part of what's happening here in some way, figure out that what that is. Um, if there's anybody here that plays guitar or sings, you better be having a conversation with me, okay? Okay? You need to be up here playing, and, and we want to get you on our schedule and a part of what we're doing. And if whether it's uh, on the worship ministry or maybe you're passionate about kids or maybe you're just really good at welcoming people and, and, and rolling out the welcome mat, we'd love to have you on our hospitality team. Whatever, I encourage you to get involved. It doesn't have to be every Sunday. Start somewhere, maybe just once every couple months, but start somewhere and, and find the joy that there is and serving alongside of a like-minded group of people that love Jesus, love the mission that we're on. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a really good thing that I know will bless you. And if you don't know where to start, in the back there we have a little basket that has connection cards. Fill out a connect card and say, I would just love to get involved serving. I don't know where, or maybe you do know where, but just put it on that line and somebody will reach out to you and, uh, and just give you some ideas and help you figure out where it is that God has for you in our church. Sound good? Awesome. Hey, I heard we got a couple big wins this week. The boys got the first football win yesterday. Yeah. And we had the very first game at the new gymnasium this last week. And uh, the girls' volleyball team won the game. And I don't see her here this morning, but our very own Leica got, like, the game-winning tip. So, I mean, come on. Awesome, awesome. So good. We had plans that night, so I wasn't able to be there, but I hear the new gym is absolutely gorgeous. Yeah, has anybody been yet? A couple, couple of you have? Yeah, of course, Frank, Mr. Mister Ferndale has been there. Yeah, awesome. Um, we're starting a brand new series this morning called Different. And I want to jump right into a text here that's going to be kind of, it kind of is the framework of this whole series. Um, it's found in 2 Timothy chapter 3. It goes like this, but evil posters will flourish. They will deceive us and will themselves be deceived. When bad things happen in the world, don't be surprised, don't be shocked. That's just how things go in a broken world. 
and the Bible says it very clearly here. It's going to happen. Evil is going to happen. Bad things are going to happen. Don't be surprised when it happens. And then it has this, these, these two words here. They're so key for us. But you must remain faithful to the things you have been taught. It was uh, late spring in 1992. For me, it was my high school graduation that was coming very very, very, very quickly. Um, I was a 17-year-old teenager at the time, and uh, getting ready to graduate, and then I had plans to head off to Bible college to learn how to be a pastor. And at that point in my life, I knew I was going to follow Jesus. My faith in, in Him was pretty strong. Um, I had encountered God in some very powerful ways at different camps and youth conferences that my youth group was a part of. And so I knew who Jesus was, and I was going to follow Him. And yet, I clearly remember feeling this strong pull inside of me to not go the way of Jesus and instead go the way of the world. And I desperately, as a teenager, wanted to fit in. I did not want to be known with my teenage friends as the religious guy. I, I, in my mind, the church kids were never the cool kids. Um, growing up in a pretty strict home, my parents had some rules that kind of reinforced this thinking. So in the home that I grew up in, I was not allowed to listen to Guns N' Roses. Some of you are going, man, Rich, sorry to hear that. I was not allowed to listen to Red Hot Chili Peppers or House of Pain. Um, their rule, my parents' rule, was unless it was sold in a Christian bookstore, remember those things? It was completely off limits. Another rule they had was no parties. And their thinking was, if there was drinking or drugs, Rich, you, you cannot be anywhere near there. Now, in Canada, um, at least, so I grew up in Canada. And in Canada, at least, at least in the redneck part of Canada that I grew up in, you know, sometimes I talk about Canada, and, and you, may, maybe I, I create this impression of all of Canada that's not even close to being accurate because I grew up in redneck Canada. And so... Uh, it would be like somebody who grew up maybe in eastern Washington speaking up in Can Canada about the U.S., and you're going, that's not really how it is. But in the redneck part of Canada where I grew up in, um, when it came time to graduation, it was, it was all about the party. All about the party. It wasn't about scholarships. It was not about moving on to the next phase of life and your wings being put out there and flying like a butterfly outside of the home. It was all about who could get the most wasted on graduation night. And every year there would always be two parties. Um, and maybe this happens around here. I, don't, I haven't really heard about it, if it is. But there was always two parties. There was the dry party, which was the party that was chaperoned by the parents, and they'd have all these cool activities and stuff. And, um, and then there was the other party, the one that was kept secret, that would usually take place somewhere at the end of some old dirt road, in a big field by the river, the one where all the teenagers, or at least most of the teenagers, would eventually end up. Well, the year that I graduated, there was actually this hot debate that went on because um, everybody knew that this party always happened, and the teens, I lived in this really small town, but somehow they managed to keep the location secret every single year, and bad things happened. Uh, overdoses would happen at this thing, there'd be reckless driving, all that kind of stuff. It was pretty tragic. And so there's this hot debate one year to combine the two parties together where you would have the, the, the dry party and the wet party together, this big debate, and the debate was, okay, let's just have them, the, the, the reason to have them together 
was parents thought, okay, it'd be better if we had all the, the youth together in one place, let them do their thing, and it's better to have them all together where we can at least keep an eye on them and kind of know what's going on, and if they do get too drunk or whatever, then we can be right there. Well, the green light was given um, with the permission of the local police department, and uh, word was out. Like I said, this is Redneck Canada, okay? Don't think all Canada's like this. This is Redneck Canada. There were only like two police cars in the whole entire like five and a half hour radius of where I lived. But the green light was given, word was out, and in early 1990s language, this was gonna be the most rad, bodacious, most excellent party ever. Excellent. <laughs> and I distinctly remember, I distinctly remember the tension of that night for me. I wanted to be there so bad. Every teenager in this little tiny community of like 3,000 people that I grew up in would be there. It was going to be outside on this warm June evening. It was going to be like loud music. There was going to be just dancing and lots of girls, loads of fun. But I was so torn because I knew I, I shouldn't be there. I knew that my, my parents had put this big boundary around that. And I knew that it wouldn't be the healthiest for me. But I drove to this party anyways. And I just kind of, they had it this, like, I remember it very clear. There was this big gated area. I think it might have been in, like, the rodeo corral. But there was this big gated area, and they had, there was just, like, I, I drove up and stood outside the gate, got outside my car, and just looked in, and it, it was hopping. I mean, there was, like, dancing. There was, like, flashing, like, concert lights everywhere. Mu music was just thumping. It just looked amazing. And, and after about five or ten minutes of debating whether or not to go in, I finally decided that I would pass. And I remembered the thought that crossed my mind that night as I did. And the thought was, you're different. You're different. And initially as a 17-year-old kid who desperately wanted to fit in and, and didn't want to be the, the, the outsider, initially that was a bad thing that I was different. But as I've grown and I've experienced more of life, I've now come to realize that being different is actually a good thing. It's a good thing. And all throughout Scripture, we, it, it's clear that God's people are different. God never calls you and me to be like those, you know, that school of fish that's swimming up the river. He calls us to be the, the fish that's swimming the opposite direction as everybody else. We're different. Hebrews 11, the Bible's hall of faith where Abraham and Moses and King David and people like this, these men and women of the faith are honored. It says this about them. It says they agreed that they were foreigners and nomads here on earth. Now foreigners are people who go to a country not their own and when they arrive, they stand out because they're different. They speak a different language. They behave differently. They believe differently. And God is saying that you need to understand something. If you're a follower of Jesus, you are living here as a nomad, as a, a foreigner. You're just passing through. This world isn't your home, which means you'll be different. Then Jesus, as he's praying over you and me at the Last Supper, he prays these words over his followers. He says, I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you would keep them from the evil one, they, that's you and me he's talking about here, they are not of the world just as I am not of the world. And God's desire for us is not that we would be separate from the world, 
but that we would be living different. And then, on, then the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says this. He says, you, that's you and me again. He says, you are the light of the world. Light is different than darkness. Later on in that same sermon, he would go on to describe some of the different ways that light is different than darkness. Rather than hate our enemies, we're called to love our enemies. Rather than be greedy with our stuff, we're called to be generous with our stuff. Rather than people that are angry and bitter and resentful, he calls us to be forgiving. And when you put your faith and trust in Jesus, don't expect to be the same as everybody else. Don't don't expect to blend in. Expect to stand out. Expect to be different. To have different morals than other people. To have different beliefs. You'll be a different husband. You'll be a different wife. You'll be a different son, a different daughter, a different parent, a different coworker. You'll be different in how you raise your children, different in how you handle conflict, different in how you handle suffering, different in how you invest your finances, different in how you spend your time. Why? Because this world is not your home. You're called to be different. You're called to be different. And let me say, this is a good thing. And today we're starting this new series, and for the next few weeks, we're actually going to be spending all of our time with a young man named Timothy. And uh, we're going to be hanging out in the book of 2 Timothy. And Timothy is this young apprentice of the Apostle Paul. Um, Paul is, is writing the letter, uh, this Second Timothy. He's writing it to Timothy while, while Paul is laying on his deathbed. And he's, he's encouraging Timothy to live differently. And at different points in the letter, Paul is going to contrast one way of living versus the way of living that he's encouraging Timothy to live. And he does that um, by saying, hey, everyone else is living like this, but you, but you, Timothy, you live like this. And there's four chapters in the book of Timothy. Each will, will be covering four different areas in which we're to live differently. And today we're going to be starting off in chapter 1, where Paul writes to Timothy these words. He says, I remember your genuine faith, for you share the faith that first filled your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice. And I know that that same faith continues strong in you. So let me just kind of set this whole thing up this morning by giving you a little bit of context and kind of bring you in a little bit on who this guy Timothy is because it's going to play into the whole story here over the next several weeks. So Timothy is from the city of, of Lystra. Lystra is located in what would be modern-day Turkey. Um, both his mom and grandma have been women of faith. It was their faith. It was their example, their prayers that made a difference in Timothy's life. It continued strong in him. And just a little side note this morning for all you praying moms and grandmothers. Do we have any praying moms and grandmothers here in the room today? Yes, lots of you. And I don't know where you're at in your prayers for your kids and your grandkids, but don't give up. Keep praying. And this whole story here is a testament to the faith of a grandmother and a mother being passed down to the next generation. Um, just this last week, I was, I was meeting with um, one of the ladies in our church, one of the, the grandmas in our church, and she was sharing how she'd been praying for decades for her family before they, they, be, they put their faith and trust in Jesus. And if you're praying and you haven't seen any results, any fruit, don't stop praying. Keep praying because when you do, God 
moves and God works even when you can't see it. Even when you can't see it. Here's Timothy. As a result of the genuine faith of his mom and grandma, he has a strong faith. Strong faith. A genuine faith, the Bible says. And so here he is in the city of Lystra um, when Paul, the Apostle Paul, he shows up on a mission trip and he meets Timothy there and there's this instant connection. Paul sees the potential in Timothy and so Paul eventually invites Timothy to go with him on one of his missionary trips and uh, Timothy joins him. Eventually though, life takes these two guys in two different directions. Uh, Timothy actually becomes the leader of a local church in a city called Ephesus. Paul ends up becoming chained in a prison in the city of Rome. And you see, during that time, the, the winds of public and official state opinion on Christianity were shifting rapidly. Has anybody noticed that happening around here? Shifting rapidly. Christianity had gone from being a religion that was somewhat tolerated to being a religion that was outright hated. And around the time that Paul was put in prison, the, the reign of a very evil, corrupt man known as Nero would begin. Now, if you don't know anything about Nero, let me just give you a little bit of a snapshot of just how, how evil and demented this guy was. Um, this guy killed his mother. He killed his first wife, likely killed his second wife. He was so twisted that history believes that he, he you've heard of the big uh, Rome fire when the city of Rome burned. History believes that it was Nero who started that fire. And his reason for starting that fire was because he had this insatiable appetite to build and build and build while the Roman Senate finally one day put their foot down and said, you can't build anymore. And he said, okay, what I'm going to do is I'm, gonna, I'm just going to burn the whole thing down so I can build anyways. Well, people started to catch on and blame him for the destruction of their loved city. And so who did he decide to blame? A little group of people, a little group of passionate people known as followers of the way, Christians. And Nero would unleash some of the worst persecution in history on these men and women who followed Jesus. He would do crazy things like take Christians and cover them with dead animal skins and put them in cages and then unleash a pack of wild dogs on them while he just sat back with guests at his dinner parties and was entertained by this. Other times he would dip them in hot wax and just light them on fire while he was entertained with his dinner guests. It was horrific what he did. And in this context, from the depths of this cold, lonely prison cell, buried somewhere in the city of Rome, Paul writes this letter to Timothy. And is it any wonder that, that he would begin the letter by talking to him about faith? And Paul would remind him of the kind of faith that he has and then of the power of that faith to sustain him no matter what kind of trials, no matter what kind of suffering, no matter what kind of persecution would come his way. Listen to what Paul writes in 2 Timothy 1.7. He writes, For God has not given us a spirit of fear and timidity, but of power, love, and self-discipline. So never be ashamed to tell others about our Lord and don't be ashamed of me either even though I'm in prison for him. With the strength God gives you, be ready to suffer with me for the sake of the good news. What a different tone 
he has there from the tone that we sometimes take when we encounter suffering. I mean, he's suffering. And he's, he, he's saying, hey, be ready to suffer for the sake of the gospel. For God saved us and called us to live a holy life. He did this not because we deserved it, but because that was his plan from before the beginning of time to show us his grace through Christ Jesus. That is why I am suffering here in prison. But I am not ashamed of it, for I know the one in whom I trust. And I am sure, Paul says, that he is able to guard what I am trusted to him until the day of his return. So good. In, the, in this text, we see that one of the ways that we are called to be different is in the kind of faith that we have as followers of Jesus. There's a, there's a genuine kind of faith, the kind that Paul talks about in this letter that, that Timothy had, a genuine faith that was passed on from his mother and his grandmother. There's a genuine kind of faith, which means if there's a genuine kind of faith, then there also must be a false kind of faith. Did you know that, that in America, the latest Gallup polls tell us that 81% of people say they believe in God, which is actually down 6% from the same poll that was taken in, in 2017, but it's still pretty high. 81% of people say they believe in God. So if we just take that, like right here to the, the city of Ferndale, what's that, like 11,000 people or so would say they believe in God? It's a number that, though, it can cause for... It's cause for skepticism when you consider how, how unchanged things are as a result of that belief. There's still uh, just as much self-centered living, brokenness, pride, worldliness, all that stuff. And, and the reason is because there's a genuine faith and then there's a, a false faith. And we would do all, all would do well to take some time to consider what makes a faith a genuine faith versus a false faith. What, what's the difference? What, do, do I have a genuine faith, or is my faith not genuine? Craig Rochelle, who's a, a pastor out of Life Church in Oklahoma, he describes three different kinds of false faith. First one is this. It's an inherited faith. An inherited faith. Many people who show up to church on Sundays have this kind of a faith. It's where you go, okay, I'm not a Muslim. I'm not Buddhist. I always show up to church a few times a year. My, my family says a prayer before we eat. My mother's a Christian. My, my grandmother, my grandfather, my dad, all my family's Christian. So I must be Christian. I must be Christian. That's an inherited faith, but it's not your faith. One of the very sad statistics that I would love to see broken in my lifetime has to do with young, young adults, and particularly with teenagers that have grown up in church. They've, they've been going to church every Sunday. They've been around the dinner table when dad and mom had said their prayers. They've even been taught about God. They've heard about God in Sunday school. They've heard about God um, at, in their home. They've heard all that kind of stuff. Then they head off to college. They hear some really smart professors, some really intelligent friends throwing doubt, throwing shade on their faith, and they think, man, I don't even believe in all this Christianity stuff. And what they're saying is that the faith they have is an inherited faith. It's their parents' faith. It's not theirs because, it, 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 because it's not theirs. It's not a genuine faith. And 
you know, I look around this room right now, and there are a lot of students here in this room, and probably some even watching online, and I don't know why you're here today. Maybe you're a teenager, and you're here today because at about 9 o'clock this morning, someone came in, knocked on your door, dad or mom or grandma, and like, hey, you got to get, get up. We're going to church today, and you're like, what do you mean? I've just got back into school. It's been like only two weeks, and I'm exhausted from all this school. And it's homework. It's Sunday. It's the weekend. Just let me sleep in. Maybe you're in that boat. Maybe you want to be here, but maybe you're just here because your parents made you. You don't really know this Jesus guy. You're not really sure about this Christianity thing. My challenge to you is to be different. To be different to be somebody, to be a teenager that's different from everybody else in your high school, and you go, I'm going to press into this Jesus guy. I'm, I'm going to actually crack open my Bible without even my parents asking me to. I'm going to crack it open and see what this Jesus guy is all about. I'm going to show up to church, and I'm not just going to sit there and, and think about my next TikTok video that I'm going to make. I'm going to listen, I'm going to engage, I'm going to press in, but have the courage, teenager, to, to say yes to Jesus, to make your faith genuine, to make it your own. Not just your parents, but to make it, make it your own. Being a follower of Jesus is not just an adult thing. Amen? It is not just an adult thing. In fact, little fun fact, most Bible scholars actually believe that other than Peter, all the disciples were either late teenagers or young adults. It's not just a, it's just not a thing for adults. It's Jesus is pursuing you. Even right now in this moment as you're in this room listening, he's pursuing you. He is going after you. Be different. Second kind of false faith is a shallow faith. Remember the story of Matthew 13 where Jesus is telling about a farmer who planted all these different seeds and some of the seed took root and, and little plants began to crop up, but the roots didn't go deep enough. It was a shallow faith. And Jesus would go on to say that when the worries and the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of wealth comes, comes along, that that plant will get choked out by all that stuff and it would actually wither and die. The roots weren't deep enough. And what's sad is that there are, are likely some of you listening to this right now who are in that same boat. You might be here today, and you're excited to be here. You're, you're excited about this faith. You're excited about Jesus. But, but, but months from now, you won't be reading your Bible. Instead, you'll be hurting, experiencing brokenness, no pain, no victory. And I don't mean to sound like a prophet of doom this morning, but it happens all the time. All the time. I've been a pastor. I've been a follower of Jesus a long time. I've seen it over and over and over again where someone gets excited about Jesus, but they don't do all the stuff that we talked about this summer that, that will cause you as a that young seedling to flourish. They don't read their Bible. They don't dive into prayer and bring Jesus into their day. They don't get connected in community. And as a result, their faith stays a shallow faith. You can be different. You can be different. You can make a commitment to go, okay, I'm going to show up here on Sundays. Maybe you go, I can't make every week, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make a commitment to show up. Maybe it's for you just starting like twice a month. You're going to show up, and you're going get, to get around people. No matter how hard life gets, you're going to show up. Maybe for someone else, it's a commitment to not just show up, but you, for you, it's a commitment to go, okay, I'm going to be, th this is going to be a different year. I'm not just going to stand there during worship. 
I'm actually going to sing during worship. I'm actually going to push in and raise my hands in worship. I'm going to go to another place in worship. I'm going to be different. Maybe for somebody else, it's I'm going to get connected in a small group. I'm going to show up at Celebrate Recovery. I'm a teenager who's never been a part of any kind of youth group, but I'm going to get connected this year. Be different. Do the things, do the things that will cause that faith of yours to not just remain shallow, but to go deep and to become a deep, genuine faith. Will it be uncomfortable at first? Yes. Will it be awkward? Man, when you show up to a small group or any kind of new ministry or even to a new church for the first time, yes, it always is. Because you don't know anybody. But embrace the awkwardness. God hasn't given you a spirit of timidity, but of power, love, and self-discipline. Your walk with Jesus, your life matters way too much to stay in a place that's going to foster shallow faith. Did you hear me? Your walk with Jesus, your faith matters way too much to stay in a place of shallow faith. You may not know this or not, but when you give your life to Jesus, there's a bullseye on your back. We have a very real enemy, the devil, who the Bible says prowls around like a roaring lion. He wants to take out your marriage. He wants to take out your kids. He wants, he just, he wants to take you out. Your faith matters too much for it to stay shallow. Be different. Go deep. Get connected. Get rooted in your faith. Third kind of false faith is a conditional faith. So an, an inherited faith, a shallow faith, and number three is a conditional faith. And this is the opposite of the kind of faith that we read about Paul having, isn't it? I mean, this is the kind of faith that says, I love God, I believe in God, I'm going to follow God, man, I'm all about God as long as things go my way. It's a conditional faith. Paul, he had, he, it was the very opposite. I mean, you just read first, uh, Second Timothy, we're, we're going to get into this week, but just even, or this, this month, but even in the little bit that we've already read, you see there, there is, there's, there's not even a hint of a conditional faith. I mean, he is writing this on his, his deathbed, um, Bible scholars, church history tradition teaches us or, or tells us that Paul would actually be executed as a result. That's how his prison sentence here would end, is he would be executed for his faith in Jesus. And is he shaking his fist at God? Is he saying, okay, God, that's too much? No, his, his faith is a genuine faith. And he comes along to Timothy and he encourages Timothy the same. Have a genuine, have a genuine faith. I can't tell you, you know, how many times I've heard the line, I don't know how I can believe in a God who would allow you fill them blank. That's not a genuine faith. That's conditional faith. Paul, he, he, not just in prison, but, but in his entire life, he just experienced so much stuff. Um, he'd been put in prison multiple times, and um, he'd been whipped so many times that he actually lost track of the beatings. He repeatedly faced death as a, re, as a direct result of following God. He'd been stoned with rocks. He'd been shipwrecked three times. He'd faced all kinds of danger. He'd been seen sleepless nights, been hungry, thirsty, cold, no clothing to keep him warm. On top of all that, he faced rejection as friends deserted him. And yet, what does he write to Timothy? He says, I know the one in whom I trust, and I am sure that he is able to guard what I have entrusted to him until the day of his return. 
return. That's not, uncon that's not conditional faith. That is unconditional faith. He's going, God, I will follow you no matter what. It's Job who, who has all of his family. He loses almost all of his family. He loses all, all of his possessions, his house, his flocks, all that kind of stuff. And then what does he say at the end of Job 1? He said, the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Praise the name of the Lord. It's a faith that is deep. It's, not, it's a genuine faith. What does genuine faith look like? Number one, it's yours. It's yours. It's not somebody else's faith. It's your faith. You've made it your own. It's, it's yours. He, he, he's your God. Jesus is your Lord. You have tasted and seen that he is good. You have heard him speaking to you, and you have responded to Jesus with a yes. I will follow you. It's a genuine faith is your faith. Number two, a genuine faith is deep. Yeah, it might be new because you've just started to follow Jesus. It might be a faith that you've had for years, maybe decades, but, but it's a, a faith that is being nurtured like a young plant, and the roots are going deeper and deeper and deeper as you take time to connect to Jesus, as you get around Christian community, as you serve. It's, it's going deeper and deeper. So genuine faith is yours. It's deep, and it's unconditional. You know who you trust. You know that even when life hands you its very worst, you know who God is. You know that, that he's still good. You know that he's still faithful and that his love hasn't changed. And there are some of you that are in the room, some of you listening online, and what God wants to do in you today is move you from a false faith over here to a genuine where you make that shift, where you make that shift. You go, my faith is not just going to be my parents' faith. Jesus, I want you to know that I am following you. Jesus, I put my faith, my trust in you. There's somebody else that your, your faith has just, just remained shallow, and you know it. Even as, that's, as, I'm, as I'm talking about that this morning, the Holy Spirit is, is coming in and just gently whispering, that's you. It stayed shallow, and, and you know that the, the, the temptations of this world and things like money and clothes and cars and all that kind of stuff, you know that it just grabs your attention because you've kept it shallow, and the Holy Spirit is wanting to move you from shallow to deep today. Where you make a de declaration, God, I, I'm going to do whatever it takes for that faith, that, that plant to grow deep roots. And somebody else, God is moving to you to a place of unconditional faith. And maybe right now, you're in a season of life where your faith is being tested, and God is going to work through this season if you let him to move your faith from an unconditional faith where you say, God, even though life right now is really hard, God, even though I've got some questions about this or that, God, I've got some questions about you. I don't understand everything. You go, God, even though all that, God, I, I believe in you. I'm going to put my faith and trust in you. I want to close with these words that, that Paul wrote to Timothy in 2 Timothy 1. He said, so keep at your work this faith and love rooted in Christ. 
exactly as I set it out for you. It's as sound as the day you first heard it from me. Guard this precious thing placed in your custody by the Holy Spirit who works in us. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you for the reminder in your word for all of us this morning, God, of what genuine faith looks like. And God, if we're honest today, there are, are times where, where, God, we've allowed our faith to stay shallow. God, we've allowed our faith, it's wavered in the face of persecution and opposition and, and, and suffering in life. But God, you're here this morning to remind us that, that Jesus, when we keep our faith rooted and anchored in you and who you are, that Jesus, there's a joy in that, there's a life in that, there's a peace that comes with that. There's that knowing, that same knowing that Paul had when he wrote this letter from the, the, the depths of that dungeon in Rome where he could say, I know the one in whom I trust and I am sure that he's able to guard. God, I pray for all of us this morning that are, are listening to this sermon, that God, we would, we would go to that place even today where God, we would say, man, I know, I know who it is that I... I follow. I know who it is that I serve. Jesus, I put my faith and trust in you. I put my faith and trust in you. And I'm just going to ask you to keep your heads bowed and your eyes closed this morning. And I want to just let you have a moment right now with the Holy Spirit. Is he speaking to you? Is he, is he inviting you, calling you to go from an inherited faith to a, a faith that's genuine, that's your own? Is he inviting you to go from a shallow faith to a deep faith, maybe to an un, from an unconditional or conditional faith to an, an unconditional faith? If he's speaking to you, I want to pray with you. I'm just going to ask that you put your hand up nice and high, and I just would love to pray with you this morning. Anybody in that boat, the Holy Spirit is inviting you to another level of faith right here, right now in this moment. Awesome. I see all your hands up. You can put your hands down. Lord, I thank you so much that you are speaking to us and you are inviting us to this place, God, to be different. And Lord, I thank you, God, that that is a, not a bad thing, but God, it's a good thing. God, you are inviting men and women and students in this room to go from a, 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 a world that is shaky, that is on, that's built on quicksand. You're inviting us, God, to go to a world that is built on a rock, it's built on the rock of Jesus who is sure, who doesn't change. God, you are inviting us to go from a place, God, of, 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 of not knowing a deep jo joy, of knowing that joy, that satisfaction that comes from putting our faith and trust in you. And Father, for everybody this morning that put their hands up, God, I want to ask, Lord, that you would be their help, that you would be their strength. I pray, God, that your Holy Spirit would encourage them. God, even as Paul came along a Timoth alongside Timothy and encouraged him, God, I pray that your Holy Spirit would encourage them, God, in this decision that they're making, God, to go that, that next level in their faith. Help them, I pray. Help them, I pray, in your name. And God, for all of us here, I pray, Lord, that this week, as we go about our week, God, as we go about working our jobs and going to our schools and and God, doing what we do this week, I pray, Jesus, that you would go before us. I pray that your light inside of us would shine, that, God, we would be different, God, in a good way. We'd be different in a way where the, the world looks at us 
and they see our good deeds, they see who we are, and they glorify our Father in heaven. Help us, I pray, to do that. As we do that, God, may we make an impact on our city, an impact on our friends, an impact on our family. In the awesome name of Jesus, I pray these things. Amen. Amen. Hey, it's been really good having you out this morning. Um, I hope you've been encouraged. If you need prayer for anything, um, you can speak to me. You can probably tap your neighbor on the shoulder, and they would love to pray for you. But have a blessed week. Have a blessed week. Try to, try to stay out of that smoke and get away from the smoky eyes, all that kind of stuff. Have a good week. Um, let that faith, let that faith be genuine. Let that faith go deep. Um, we do have coffee out here in the foyer if you want to hang out and chit-chat, talk with some folks before you take off. The coffee is hot, it's fresh, and uh, you're welcome to stay around if you want. Other than that, though, have a blessed week, and uh, God bless.